Welcome to a politically charged edition of TGAF. Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by Shampoo Travis Bisa and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. Uh, I am Tim Graham from The Athletic here with Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic, Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein and Associates, and uh, Ryan Nobles of CNN, a Western New Yorker born in North Tonawanda, went to Casadega Valley High in Chautauqua County, a Brockport grad, and now in his, I think, sixth year at CNN, Ryan, is that right? Tim, you, you know my uh, bio better than my wife. That's pretty impressive. <laughs> right down. Yeah, well, where's I, your I'm, wife I'm from, Ryan? To, to, so my wife is from uh, central New York. She grew up uh, between Albany and Utica. She grew he has up in no idea where North Town is. New York, which is a st- yeah. <laughs> she does because she's been there a couple of times. But yeah, Fort Plain, Section Three or Section One school, I think Albany area. So yeah, and her and her family still lives there. So we that's when we uh, make our way back to upstate New York. Generally, that's where we are. Well, thanks for joining us. Uh, SUNY Brockport grad and has been at CNN for six years. And I, Ryan's been on the show before. And the last time he was on, the coronavirus outbreak was was hitting hard and it was new and we didn't know much about it. And he was covering the Bernie Sanders campaign at the time. And uh, he is now covering the Donald Trump campaign And he is in Salt Lake City right now in advance of the vice presidential debate uh, on Wednesday in Salt Lake City. Um, So, Ryan, I guess a a thumbnail uh, sketch here. How has this this been? There is no. I guess there's no routine coverage of a campaign ever, but, you know, there's it's had to have been very difficult to plan for this. Yeah, you know, Tim, when we spoke last time in March, um, I think a couple of days after that, I flew back to Washington and was basically covering the end of the Bernie Sanders campaign from my back office, uh, you know, slash spare bedroom in uh, Northern Virginia and didn't go anywhere for essentially three months. Um, You know, the Sanders campaign ended mid-March and they quickly shifted me over to the Trump campaign, but everything was essentially put on hold. We didn't know what we were going to do or how we were going to do it. I had to kind of get up to speed with covering the Trump campaign. I was completely on the opposite end of the political spectrum and covering Bernie Sanders. So it meant, uh, you know, kind of reintroducing myself to a lot of Republican contacts and and people in Trump world, which is kind of difficult to do via Zoom and and telephone calls as opposed to in-person meetings. And then my first time back out traveling was uh, the big, well, turned out to not be that big uh, rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma that the president had, which was kind of our first indication as to how uh, unimportant they seem to be taking the serious surrounding the coronavirus. Uh, and since then, you know, I've been to about a dozen of these Trump rallies where, you know, they are for the most part outside, but, you know, you're talking about, uh, thousands of people shoulder to shoulder, not wearing mat, seeming to care all that much the spread of the virus. And now here we have the president himself, Secretary Kaylee McEnany, add her to the list of people that have uh, tested positive for the coronavirus. So we're breaking that on the Tim Graham show. Um, but yeah, Holy I mean, smokes. it's it's been a surreal experience. Yeah, yeah. Well, Ryan, 
I guess, you know, we're going to talk about the Buffalo Bills, which is the main reason we have you on. You, I like to talk to uh, Bills fans on Monday, and things are going great. They're 4-0, but we have people on because they're interesting. And uh, part of the reason is, uh, you know, what, uh, what you're up to uh, there in Salt Lake City. Um, did we lose you? Did we lose Ryan? Ryan, are you still there? Okay, we may have lost Ryan. We'll just keep talking until uh, until he comes back. Um, well, I could take over. I mean, according please. to Wikipedia, Ryan graduated from Brockport at the top of his class in 1998, and six years later, I graduated at the bottom of my class at Brockport. <laughs> can balance that out a little bit. <laughs> Here's Ryan coming back. Uh, Sorry about that, guys. I mean, no, that's okay. Um, who who are we to blame? Who's to blame here? Is this Marriott? Yeah, yes, the Sheridan in uh, Salt Lake. This is the See, not he's got to stay at a Marriott property. It's a Marriott property there. Sheriat, oh, Sheridan, Sheridan is now under. Right. Listen, I'm a full-on ambassador status for Marriott, so I'm. Uh, <laughs> don't worry about that. <laughs> I'll keep my video off though. That might help uh, make the connection a little stronger. Okay. Uh, so Ryan, um, as I was saying, we're going to talk about the bills, uh, and that's kind of you know that's the fun stuff. Um, well. Hey, you know, covering a pre vice presidential debate is probably fun, too. There's a lot of um, uh, metaphors uh, between the sports world and uh, politics and game planning, uh, strategy, all this other stuff. Um, but I guess before we get even to the vice presidential debate, you're talking about getting ready or to moving from the Bernie Sanders campaign to Donald Trump's campaign. What's that decision like? Uh, do you have any say in that? Because uh, do you, uh, how do your bosses or what are the meetings like when, when, uh, when it's finally determined that Joe Biden is the uh, going to be the democratic nominee for president, where your uh, role gets shifted to, because you do have a lot more familiarity with the democratic planks and, uh, and all of that stuff. And you know, Bernie Sanders is going to be around the Joe Biden campaign mm -hmm. in some fashion versus going to the Republican side and covering the incumbent uh, president, it's, it is different. But from a journalistic standpoint, I was curious how that goes. Yeah. And well, I think, and, you know, compound that with the pandemic, right? So this isn't, wasn't a situation where a decision was made where we're around, I'm around my bosses and my editors on a regular basis, and we can kind of just have a free flowing conversation about the next stage. You know, what's interesting about working for a place like CNN is that we have so many resources that you know, I it was a luxury to be able to focus on just one candidate for a year and a half. Um, so you know, there was a bit of a kind of a, a a shock to the system when he dropped out because it was like, okay, this has like been my world for a year and a half. Now, what do I do next? You know, it'd be like if the Bills disbanded, you know, and and if you're a beat reporter for the Bills, and you know, what are you supposed to do next? So um, going to cover the I, Patriots, I guess, because it's yeah. you want to go with the total opposite, right? Right, exactly. Be going the complete opposite way. So uh, there How about wasn't this? a lot. How about covering Rex Ryan? Right. Yeah. No, that's a good example. Yeah. Totally. Exactly. And so, um, yeah, I think what had happened was, um, you know, we expected at a certain point in time that the White House team, at least members of the White House team, Caitlin Collins in particular, who's one of our really terrific White House correspondents, would shift her focus more from covering the White House day to day, you know, the administration into covering the campaign. And what happened was because of the coronavirus and, and it still continues to this day, 
the the White House beat itself has been just inundated with the responsibility of covering this massive story that it was difficult for Caitlin and Jim Acosta, who's our chief White House correspondent, to pay as close attention to the campaign machinations, the day-to-day of what was going on in the campaign, where they were spending ads, how they were targeting their focus. And so that's when my boss came to me and said, this is the responsibility we want you to take on. You're gonna basically support the White House team and you take that off of their shoulders. They don't have to worry about the campaign day to day. And it, and it, it, and I, you know, I, these are a team that I've worked with a lot in the past. So it was, I was able to kind of fit into that really well. You know, it's challenging in that, you know, I'm competing against reporters on this beat who've been covering the president for more than five years. I covered him a little bit before he got elected and a little bit into the transition. But then after that, I covered Capitol Hill and then was covering uh, the midterm races, then eventually Bernie. So it, you know, it, it took a while to get up to speed, but you know, I, we've kind of got it figured out and it's crazy because, you know, there, it seems like every time, you know, Caitlin or Jim, or, okay, now they're going to be with you on the campaign full time. Like, this is a good example uh, where we are in Salt Lake. Caitlin was originally supposed to be out here with me in Salt Lake and there's just too much happening in Washington. She's not able to break away. So I'm going to have to take up, you know, the lion's share of the coverage in Salt Lake. So, uh, you know, it's a blessing and a curse to be at a place that covers every single piece of news that comes down. But luckily, we have the resources to support it. Ryan, how what is the dynamic like when you come from covering Bernie Sanders uh, going to Donald Trump's campaign? Just I'm curious about the response from sources uh, around the president and you know, it's not a secret how he feels about CNN and it's not a secret how he feels about Bernie Sanders. So from a sourcing standpoint and a, a journalism standpoint and the day to day of doing your job, what what is the dynamic like? Um, it's really hard, honestly. Um, you know, the I do think what's interesting about covering Sanders and Trump is that and I think I gave this example to you guys the last time we were on is that politics isn't the spectrum isn't a straight line. It's a circle. You know, there's a Venn diagram here where a lot of the the things that Trump supporters are concerned about and the reason they support Donald Trump are very similar to some of the things that Sanders supporters agree with. They just come at it from a different perspective. So I actually, you know, there are there are crossovers in that perspective. But in terms of the campaign apparatus, it's much different. I mean, first of all, the Sanders Sanders had a lot of money, but he didn't have the whole infrastructure of the White House and the administration behind him. Um, that's part of it. Uh, the and also the the Trump campaign, you know, there there were folks in the Trump campaign that I'd known uh, from previous covering previous uh, people, uh, Republicans along the way. But there were a lot of people who, you know, this was my first time getting to know them. And you have to build a trust factor with sources. And, you know, candidly, there's, you know, the president himself is not someone that you can trust on a day to day basis. I think it's pretty fair to say that. So there's a little bit of, of a calculation there in terms of the information that you're getting. And also, and you alluded to this, Matthew, there, the Trump campaign has, frankly, a adversarial relationship with the mainstream press. I mean, he calls us the enemy of the people. I'm at a Trump event and he literally points directly at me and tells everyone that I'm sick and that I am there to hurt them and that all I do is lie. And then those people will start a chorus of CNN sucks and screaming at me while I'm in the middle of trying to do a live shot. So, you know, some of that is theater. You know, when I talk to a lot of these sources, 
you know, the, the relationship isn't that toxic, but just the overall frame of it does make it a lot difficult, m- much more difficult for us to do our jobs. And there's always a little bit of, uh, of a adversary relationship with journalists and those that we cover, you know, we're, we should be a skeptical of whoever we cover, but th- it's like this at, you know, the 10th degree. It's like nothing I've ever experienced before. Ryan, what is the dynamic been like for you and the other reporters on the campaign trail with these campaign events? We know there have been some coronavirus transmission. Even some of these events have been called super spreader events. How do you personally navigate that, keep yourself safe while still doing your job as a reporter? So listen, it's a risk, you know, um, if I weren't doing this job, I would not be behaving this way is, is the simple way to say it. Um, you know, I was on, I did a, a, a live report for one of our affiliates in Australia at one of the events I was at and the Australian anchors looked at the crowd behind me and were just appalled by what they saw. And I said to them, this is the only place in America where you are seeing this kind of event take place. You know, think about it. I mean, you guys, you know, the uh, Bill Stadium is empty on Sundays. Uh, there would normally be 70,000 people there. You know, the, the, the government in Western New York and New York State, they're wrestling with the idea of whether or not it's appropriate to have 7,000 people in that venue. And yet the president of the United States, whose own CDC is the one that is offering up these these guidance that local governments are using to prevent these kind of gatherings is inviting people to come and be a part of these events. So from my personal perspective, you know, I always wear a KN95 mask, uh, which is designed to not only protect people around me, but also to protect me. I literally never take it off from the second I get into the venue, meaning I don't drink or eat at all while I'm at these events. And we, the one thing the Trump campaign has done that I give them credit for is that they have penned off the press and given us our own kind of little six feet enclaves where we theoretically should be away from other people. But there is always going to be a degree of your shoulder to shoulder with people as you're coming in, when you want to use the bathroom, you know, you can't avoid it on some level. So I, I feel in many ways, like I've dodged a bullet up until this point that I've been able to prevent getting coronavirus up until this point. I just actually took a test yesterday in order to be part of the vice presidential debate. And uh, I must have tested negative because they call you the second you test positive. Um, And so I'm just thankful for that. And I worry every single day that I'm going to make one wrong move that's going to put me in danger and could potentially put my family in danger. And it's, you know, this is all basically at the direction of the president of the United States who now finds himself in that situation. And I guess what's most baffling about it is he's in the hospital right now. And yet his campaign is still planning an in-person rally with the vice president on Thursday after this debate. And there's a good chance that I'm going to be at it. So yeah, it's, it's nerve wracking. And, but I think, you know, the reason I'm doing it is because I feel like it's my responsibility as a reporter to take that risk, to tell that story in an unbiased way because that's part of what our job is at CNN. And I have colleagues that go into war zones that cover hurricanes that are in the middle of these protests that turn violent. Um, It's a risk, but I think it's a risk worth taking because I think the reporting is so important. We're in conversation with CNN reporter and North Tonawanda native, Ryan Nobles. And um, I think that when you attend these Trump campaign events and you are 
in the crowd, essentially. I mean, you're sequestered a bit, but you know, the, you're exposed to his fans, to his supporters. Uh, to me, it's reminiscent of that, you know, when we have to leave the press box to get to the Bills locker room, we have to walk past a concourse and outside out in the public for a little bit uh, to get down into the tunnel that takes us to the locker room. It's probably what Mike Rodak had to experience uh, being out among the Bills fans for even so much as 20 seconds, uh, just the hate uh, <laughs> that you're, you're faced with. Uh, I know you're supposed to shrug that off and, you know, as professionals, I I mean, to a much lesser degree, us in sports, the emails that we get, the comments, the tweets uh, of people who would like to see bad things happen to us because we have an opinion on, uh, or we maybe used to have an opinion on, uh, on Josh Allen or the Sammy Watkins trade. How do you handle it from a psychological standpoint? I'm guessing it's, it's gotta be at the very minimum exhausting, but, I'm guessing it, the stress is there because you don't know what's going to happen what, or, and you don't want to have to deal with it. Even if it's trying to look somebody in the eye and say, Hey, you know, chill out. Even that is comes with a high degree of like, come on, just let me do my job. But yeah. it, it, you can't. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, uh, I have to say, you know, I've been a reporter now for more than 20 years and um, I've dealt with a lot of vitriol from viewers for whatever reason, because, you know, as journalists, we are often, especially as a news reporter, you are often the bearer of bad news. And a lot of times, you know, people want to shoot the messenger, frankly. And this is different though, because it's a little bit more about us specifically than it is about the topics. You know, the president has, has turned us into his adversary. But what's interesting, Tim, is, um, it's funny because there's a mob mentality to it to a certain extent where, you know, you get a group of people that are together in a confined space and they get whooped up by someone who they believe in and they'll say things that they wouldn't say, I don't think if it were just you one-on-one. And what I found is that, you know, to a person, you know, the average Trump supporter I meet and I cover and this, I can say the same thing for Bernie supporters because there are, there's a lot of toxicity in his uh, fan base as well. When you get to start talking to them and you have a conversation with them, they're normal people. You know, they're people that have, uh, you know, struggles and problems that they're dealing with. And and for whatever reason, they're attracted to the president and his policies. Um, and, you know, they're nice. They can, you know, and even when you tell them you work for CNN, they don't, you know, they don't punch you. <laughs> you know, um, I just think, you know, I think sometimes one of the things I've tried to do and I've worked really hard at in covering this campaign is understand that these, the, the, the toxic nature of our politics right now has a root cause, right? Uh, and I don't necessarily think that Donald Trump is the root cause. I think he's a symptom of this cancer that we have right now. And what I've learned covering the Bernie campaign and now covering the Trump campaign is there's a lot of Americans that are dealing with a lot of anxiety for a lot of reasons. It could be economic. It could be from a health perspective. It could be from uh, family reasons. And that's in part why we've lost uh, faith in our institutions. And what I try and do is remove that kind of anger that's directed at me and try and get past that and try and understand what that is drawn from. And it's often drawn from a place of pain. And so 
you know, I, I, I prefer to try and turn this into a positive experience and try and learn more about why people are feeling this way, because I think that's my job as a reporter. But to your point, it's not easy sometimes. You know, I came back from the, the Tulsa rally, which was really toxic. And I went to a, an event in Arizona a couple of days later, which was also, you know, just filled with racial rhetoric and, and things that I just, you know, couldn't believe I was here, heard coming from the mouths of my of fellow Americans. And it drags on you, man. And you just try to figure out how you can contribute to the process in a positive way. And sometimes that's really hard to do. What about introducing as some sort of side, you know, like you go to sporting events and, you know, they might even have a bounce house for the kids, uh, <laughs> you know, a place for you to throw a football through a, through a hole, uh, whatever. What about like a table jumping station for Trump supporters that would maybe help <laughs> them get, get some of this out of their system? I think that might be therapeutic. <laughs> Yeah. Tim, you're the first person to suggest that. And and maybe I should, uh, you know, send that up the chain. I I do think maybe releasing some of that anxiety into a, a, a folding table might actually calm some nerves that actually could be could be beneficial in some way, shape or form. <laughs> We're talking to CNN reporter and North Tonawanda native uh, Ryan Nobles. And I don't want to just totally dominate this with politics, although we probably, uh, you know, and I'm maybe cutting off Jonah and Matthew from asking some more questions, but let's get into the bills now. Maybe if the, at the end, uh, maybe we'll have uh, something that, that comes up, but I don't want to dominate your, your morning out there in Salt Lake City. You have a lot of prep to do for the vice presidential debate on Wednesday. Um, Ryan, your bills, uh, 4-0. Um, first off, you're out in Salt Lake City. Uh, the fact that the game was in Vegas, did that make it easier to find the game on television? So uh, one of the benefits of working at CNN is that we are now owned by AT&T, which also owns DirecTV. So that means I have a free access to the NFL Sunday ticket, which I was Dig already it. a subscriber to, but it's now just a lot cheaper. <laughs> so I, I always have access to a Bills game. It does not matter where I am. I've made sure of that. But uh, shockingly, I had my iPad all set up to go in this hotel room expecting to watch it on there. And it was on TV here. So I don't and I think it was on my brother is in New York City and I think he said it was on where he was too so I think it had greater national coverage than I even realized so I watched it on a big screen TV here in my hotel room um, and yeah enjoyed it immensely I've enjoyed this season immensely it's funny I have a three-year-old son who is just now starting to kind of become aware of football and what it means and he's got a josh allen jersey and josh allen's become his favorite player and he actually said to my wife yesterday because we do this weird thing if you see on instagram i sometimes post it where when they, they score a touchdown the kids kind of run up and i like throw them up in the air to celebrate the touchdowns and you know in, in past seasons there weren't too many celebrations frankly uh and yesterday uh, the bills had already scored four touchdowns and jack was like how come how come there, when's the next touchdown? Shouldn't there be another touchdown by now? So there, you know, as a three-year-old, he, he's seeing a, an era of Bill's football that, you know, I hadn't seen since I was in high school. <laughs> you might have to uh, enhance your, your insurance, uh, for your family, and just with all the scoring that's going on, uh, nobody could get hurt. Yes. Yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah. But you know, the one thing I would say about this team, I just, that's so different than the other teams and it's only four games in where they're four and in 2008. Right. Uh, is that it, they're just, they just seem like they're a good team, which I know is, it's kind of a simplex, simplistic way to put it. But I, I texted that to my father and brother yesterday. I'm like, this is just a damn good football team, you know, and I don't think they played their best football on Sunday, but they won easily without playing their best football against, I think the Raiders are a pretty good team. They were certainly banged up, 
but I am just impressed at how they do the basic functions of football in a very efficient and good way, which is just something that Bill's teams over the past 20 years just have not done. Yeah, much like um, your transition going from covering Bernie Sanders to Donald Trump, it's a bit jarring for us too. Uh, finding the <laughs> words, saying because that's the simplest way to put it, right? Like, oh, this Bills team is good. Um, <laughs> that's all I can say. I don't really, I, I, I have not been here before. I'm still figuring out how all this works. <laughs> that, I, I can I empathize with you, Matthew. I, I think that's 100 percent right. I mean, it's just weird to see them, uh, you know not take us. My wife always jokes because, you know, she, her football IQ is not that high. She only really watches the games because I do. She's much more of a baseball fan, but um, she, you know, in past seasons, every time they would score a touchdown, she'd be like, we'll just wait for the flag. And there would often always be a flag. And this year it's like, she's like, she said to me after the third game, she's like, I don't think they ever had a touchdown or a score called back because of a flag. And I'm like, yeah, no, this is a different team. They just don't, they don't need to do that anymore to score. They can actually do it. They don't need they, to cheat. Yes, exactly. They can actually just functionally <laughs> do this. <laughs> what has been, uh, what has been the thing you're most drawn to when watching these guys? Well, Josh Allen's the easy answer. So let's say, uh, let's say beyond Josh Allen, what, what, what are you getting the most entertainment out of? You know, I really have been, I mean, I, I think the wide receiver core uh, and more, I mean, obviously they're talented, but I just think the way they play together has been so exciting to see. I mean, one of the things I love so much about the nineties bills was that they seem like brothers, you know, that this, this was a family and they were in it together. And I know a lot of that is manufactured in theater, you know, just for our edification, but I genuinely, genuinely get the sense that Diggs and Beasley and Brown uh, and uh, Gabriel, the new guy, love each other. And just, you know, they're as excited when they see Cole go up and drag a ball uh, from midair between two receivers as they are if they were to score themselves. Um, and, and, you know, I think that's got to be at least uh, a big part of the reason as to why Allen has really come into his own because he knows I, I, this, I, this text that I have with my brother and father during the games, I said this to them yesterday, it's clear that not only does Josh have confidence in himself, which, you know, he seems to have always been a confident guy, but he clearly has confidence in them. I mean, you don't whip a ball 90 miles an hour between two defenders unless you think that, you know, somebody like John Brown's going to catch it like he did on that uh, catch yesterday that clearly should have been called the touchdown. Um, and so I think that that's been the most exciting thing for me. And I, and I mean, not to go on and on about this, but I also just absolutely love Trey White. Um, I love his intensity. I love, uh, you know, the fact that he's always got a big smile on his face. And I also think he's a tremendous ambassador uh, for the for for the Buffalo Bills. I love that a guy like him is wearing the Bills jersey because I just think he's a decent human being and, and is just a, a great guy and a great person to have on our team. Yeah, it's, I, you make a great point about the the confidence that these guys have in each other, the confidence Josh has in them. And I think, you know, it's an element that I hadn't really considered. Tim wrote, you know, after the first week that the Bills were getting a little crazy with all the, the designed runs and things that Josh Allen was doing. And there's an element of that where you look at it and say, yeah, just don't get this guy hurt. But mm -hmm. I think the part of it I hadn't considered uh, until, you know, this weekend and then yesterday where he didn't run the ball at all was that 
those guys are feeding off of the idea that he's putting the ball in their hands, um, yeah. which is something he said he's going to do for a long time. Now he's finally doing it. Nine different receivers caught a pass yesterday. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, uh, the fact that some of these guys are catching passes, I mean, they worked, um, who's the, the return specialist, uh, Andre Roberts. Andre Roberts. I mean, he ended up catching a pass yesterday and made a great catch yesterday. You know, the idea that somebody like him would be working into the mix when you have such a amazing core of receivers on the top and the fact that they would actually utilize him, you know, it's Patriots esque, right? I mean, that's, that's what, uh, Bill Belichick does is these guys who nobody else knows, uh, on the roster, uh, you know, are, are finding ways to contribute and a guy like Brady would find them. And that's what Allen's doing this time around as well. Yeah. I mean, it's just, uh, it's a pleasure to watch. I hope it stays this way, but I guess that's the big difference too, is that none of it feels like a fluke, you know, even, you know, when they were five and three with under fits and when they were four and oh and oh eight, it's like they were four and oh, but eh, I mean, like, yeah, they were four and oh, but they got lucky to be four and oh. This team earned every one of these wins this week and against, I think, reasonably good competition. I think Miami's better than a lot of people are giving them credit for. I mean, I think the Rams could potentially be a Super Bowl contender and the Raiders are a pretty good team. Um, I, you know, I think this is, I, I think they're legit this year and, you know, how far that takes them. I mean, I at least would like to see a home playoff game. Um, but I also should point out that it is the, just the peak of irony that this is happening all in a pandemic year. And, you know, there's is just a good a chance that they go to the playoffs and, and we enjoy that as there are that the season just completely gets canceled and they run into a wall and are not able to take uh, advantage of this magic that they've created. Hey, Ryan, do you think it's a coincidence the last time the Bills were 4-0, and Joe Biden was on the ticket with Barack Obama and now he's <laughs> leading the Democratic <laughs> contingent in this election? Is there any connection there? I mean, maybe, you know, I mean, uh, Biden was uh, on the ticket twice. They, they weren't that good in 2012. So uh, that, that might throw, put, put up a bit of a hole uh, in that argument. But you never know. I mean, you know, I think Biden uh, has a lot of like, you know, Buffalo blue collar attraction to him. You know, he's the, the kid from Scranton, which is uh, very similar to a town like Buffalo. So, um, you know, we'll take what we can get at this point, right? <laughs> I'm going to give a little fair warning here. I have, uh, this has nothing to do with anything we're talking about other than the fact that we're talking. I have a dog who hates when I'm on the phone and I have this new office. She is about, she's getting wound up. So we may have a, we may have an extra guest here on the show. (laughs) She does not like the sound of these voices coming out of the computer down here in my office. Uh, And so anyway, just fair warning. Uh, You know, Matt brings up a point. Well, you guys all brought up a point here, really, the political aspect and with COVID. Ryan, I I think there's probably a few people in the country who can speak on this or who have thought maybe thought about it in this way uh, because you just did broach it. What of what concern and I don't mean this flippantly. What level of concern do you have that we may have some. Uh, socioeconomic, racial, whatever, strife uh, from the election. We still have coronavirus cases. They're starting to rise in in 20 states, I think it is. Uh, I saw on CNN this morning, uh, five where it's dramatic, including the state of New York, where everybody's uneasy. Uh, We have what's happening with the Tennessee Titans. It is, uh, COVID is affecting um, sports again. 
but even with the election, the election result and what may happen, we saw, you know, players boycotting in the NBA um, or, you know, who knows what the, what's going to cause these players from, you know, a team that isn't even the bills to say, we're, we're going to boycott uh, for a mm-hmm. while for, you know, because of what's going on in America. What's your level of concern that this season might not end? Yeah. I'm and sorry. Might not, that this season might not finish. I mean, I think it's like, I, I think it's like a 50, 50 proposition right now. Um, the one thing I will say is, and I, and I, I think this is so important given the fact that the president has now been diagnosed with coronavirus. I mean, there's two ways to perceive the president's positive diagnosis. The one is that, well, oh my gosh, if the leader of the free world can get coronavirus, we're all going to get it. Um, but I think the other one is that if you take the steps necessary, and if you listen to the science and you live your life in a way that does takes as many steps possible to mitigate the risk of your exposure, you can still accomplish things, you know? Uh, I, I, and listen, I could get it tomorrow, but I feel like I'm living proof of that, right? Like, like I've been on planes a lot. I've been, uh, you know, I've had to go to restaurants because you're, we're on the road and that's the only way you're gonna eat. You know, I've been inside these rallies, but I'm always wearing a mask. I'm constantly washing my hands. I'm sanitizing my hands every chance I get. I'm always as far away from other people as I possibly can. And I haven't got it yet. And I mean, I think you look at the hockey experience, the baseball experience, and even baseball, which had, you know, it's hiccups, but it's going to probably complete the season. There's a way to do it. It's not easy. It's gonna, you're going to end up with breakout breakouts from time to time, like with what Tennessee's dealing with right now, but it is possible. I think the problem that the country's facing right now, and this is the reason the president has uh, contracted the virus, is that there's still a significant part of this country that for whatever reason doesn't want to listen to the science and will not take the proper precautions, you know, wants to continue to just live their lives as if this thing doesn't exist. And if that can continues to perpetuate, if we still have, you know, 30% of the country that refuses to wear a mask under any circumstance, or refuses to not throw parties, or refuses to not do all these things that would greatly reduce the chances of the, the outbreaks happening, then yeah, then it isn't, you know, the NFL season's not going to end, uh, the NFL season is going to end, and a bunch of other things that we come to appreciate are also going to be uh, postponed indefinitely. So, you know, there is a way through this. Other countries have done it very successfully. This isn't, you know, magic. It's science. And, uh, you know, if, if, you, if you've listened to the, the, the recommendations from these people that are really smart, smarter than I am, you, you can do it. And you, we can open schools back up. We can start to be able to go to sporting events again. And, you know, I think the thing that struck me the most was, you know, in terms of wearing a mask, which is, I just think, the very most important thing. And it's not that hard. You know, I have to wear a mask for my job like 90% of the day. You just get through it. You figure it out. You got There's a level of adjustment. But the, 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 one of the makers of the vaccine who stands to benefit financially in a massive way through uh, the production of the vaccine, his recommendation is that we already have a vaccine and it's called a mask. So, you know, once we get over this hump and people start to figure that out, and maybe the president's diagnosis can lead us to that, 
you know, I think it's possible to get back to some sort of semblance of life, but I, it's going to take some time. Yeah, we're in conversation with Ryan Nobles of CNN and uh, native of North Tonawanda. Uh, but it's human nature, even if the president were to come out and say, you know what, I was wrong about it. You know, there would be an element of uh, his supporters who would say that it's fake news or that Trump is saying this for because he's playing 4D chess. Uh, and uh, because on social media, especially or, well, even face to face, so many people have dug in on the stance that it is a hoax or that it is uh, it's not a big deal that now that even if Trump were to come out and say that it's fine, it's it's difficult for a human being to admit I w- I've been fighting the wrong fight for seven months. Yeah. And so it's easier just to say, no, it's I'm sorry, I'm not changing my mind. But I wanted to ask a little bit about the social, the potential for social unrest um, yeah. in November. Uh, you know, well, where do you think that uh, that could uh, or how, how much do you think that could impact and not just sports? I don't want to be so trivial as a leave it to sports, but could impact just our day to day life and all the things that we enjoy and uh, that we look for as a diversion. Um, there, there's a, a lot of people are predicting bad things. I'm worried about it. I don't know how much to be worried about it. Um, I mean, obviously we have seen a lot of um, anger from a lot of Americans uh, because of what has happened uh, with uh, police brutality and, and um, you know, the targeting of African-Americans in, in many places. And I, I don't think that that has gone away. That continues to be a, a serious problem. And then if you compound that with a contested election, um, it is uh, all the ingredients for what could be a dangerous cocktail. Um, I think the biggest thing that I think the average American needs to understand that doesn't kind of like consume politics the way I do is that there is going to be required of us a level of patience in the vote counting process which is something we're not accustomed to, right? I mean, yeah, we want a we, winner we ex- at, on, at eight o'clock on election. Yeah, yeah. not even, exactly. we're, not, yeah, we're not even going to wait until, you know, we've heard from over half the states. We're just going to exactly. go ahead and the winner. That's 100% right. And so we have the dynamic of so many people voting by mail this year for obvious reasons. And let me state emphatically that voting by mail is safe, accurate, and is not wrought with fraud, despite the fact that that's what President Trump has been trying to tell us. So that's just going to, it's going to take a lot longer to count those ballots than what we would normally have on a normal election day. So it could take a week. It could take two weeks to figure out who won the election. And just because it takes two weeks doesn't mean that something's wrong. It just means that the process is harder because of it. So I, what concerns me is that the president has laid the groundwork for so many of us to be wary of this vote counting process. And because we don't get the answers immediately, that uh, people are going to fill that void with suspicion that that leads to bigger problems. And then, you know, you combine that with uh, the already um, serious tensions that we're facing as it relates to race relations in this country, you know, Second Amendment rights, all these things that people are worried about um, and something bad could happen. My, while I don't deny that reality, I still believe fundamentally that we still have the best system and that we're going to figure this out. And I think the election results are going to be clear enough that we know who the winner is and who the loser is. 
And I think that you're going to see a lot of the rhetoric that's built up ahead of a campaign dies down exponentially after we know who won. And I think that, you know, even these Republicans that have kind of helped fuel the president's, you know, frankly, lies about the voting system, uh, I think that once the results become clear, are going to temper that quite a bit. And there's going to be a swift move for whatever transition takes place. And that includes the possibility that the president could win the election because he could. So, you know, we're at a breaking point right now, but a lot of that, I think, subsides after the results come in. Uh, so just hopefully we, you know, there's enough patience to get that process going. And I'll just make this point quickly, Tim, about, you know, the difference between before an election and after an election. I always joke that I get requests like this from you like crazy prior to an election. Everybody wants to talk to me right up until election day. And then I'm always like, well, we're, people are going to want to talk to me after the election, too. It's crazy. Like the second the results come in, everybody's moved on to the next big thing. Nobody's interested in a political reporter from November 9th through, you know, until the next election starts. So usually people are very good at putting it in the rearview mirror pretty quickly. Well, we're going to have you back to talk about the bills or maybe even the neighbors. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Football. Yeah. Well, my uh, my son, Jack, who I told you about before, likes the bills a lot but he is a massive hockey fan his name is jack so he is a huge jack eichel fan and hockey is undoubtedly his favorite sport so hopefully there is a hockey season of some ilk and hopefully the sabers will actually have the type of season that the bills are having or at least you know something close to that it would be nice to see them in the playoffs because i love playoff hockey Okay, now you're in Northern Virginia, and he gets exposed to Alex Ovechkin quite a bit, and yeah. Alex Ovechkin might be my favorite hockey player of all time. So I understand the appeal. Is there danger of losing him to the Capitals, uh, or are you going to force him to be a Sabres fan? So and, I am, and that might be grounds for uh, CPS to come and visit you if you're pissed <laughs> that he's a Sabres fan. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, that's always been my worry. So my, uh, you know, I've tried to indoctrinate the kids from a very young age about where our sports fandoms lie. But um, I think that I've got to let the process happen organically. You know, I've, I've, I've laid the cards on the table. It's interesting because my daughter, I have a 10 year old daughter and she um, got really wrapped up in the Nats run to the world series. And we go to a ton of Nats games because they're easily accessible Uh, CNN has a ticket package, so that gets us into the stadium on a pretty fairly regular basis. We're big Mets fans, but um, it was interesting as the Nats were making their run to the World Series, my daughter kind of timidly came up to me one day and said, Daddy, is it okay if I want the Nats to win the World Series? (laughs) Because, you know, all of her friends in school were wearing Nats gear and everybody was kind of getting whooped up for it. So, yeah, I mean, it's if if the Bills and the Sabres don't start winning at a more regular clip, I fear that we may lose them, at least on some level. But I think that I've at least built uh, a bit of, uh, you know, kind of familial connection to it, that there'll always be Bills and Sabres and Mets fans on some level, I hope. The Bills are going to leave their mark on them this year, uh, I think. And and last year, too. They were good last year. So I think that uh, the the joy that you have, if you're able to watch the games with them enough on Sundays, uh, I think will probably leave their mark. The Sabres, you might might have to wait a while. Well, it also doesn't hurt that Washington's football team is just an absolute disaster. So that that, that certainly helps the Bills case in a big way. Yeah. (laughs) 
Anything else for Ryan, guys, before oh. we let you go? No? I just think. Wanna, just want to clear the deck here. Any any lingering questions <laughs> for Ryan? Uh, if I could ask, you know, Trump's made college football, Big Ten football somewhat of an issue in his campaign. I've seen kind of politicization of high school football around here. Uh, people will blame the Democratic politicians that were not playing in New York and pointed Republican-led states where they are playing. When you're on the trail, if you're talking to voters, how much have you seen whether sports, football, and being able to play during a pandemic is an issue for voters in any of these states? Um, I think, you know, I think there's at least a swath of the votership where this is their top priority, frankly. You know, you know some of these states, um, you know, that don't have professional sports in particular, the... Um, the college teams dominate their thought process. I mean, like Ohio, you know, Ohio has pro teams, but I'm, you know, there's not, there's not a single unifying team in the state of Ohio more than the Ohio State Buckeyes. It doesn't matter if you live in Toledo, Cincinnati, Columbus, uh, you know, any city in Ohio, you are a Buckeye fan. That's just the way it is. Even if you didn't go to Ohio State, so the idea that you're not going to be able to watch your Buckeyes every Saturday is definitely something that, you know, is part of people's DNA. You know, my brother-in-law is a, he lives in North Carolina now, but he's a huge Ohio State fan. He's from Ohio originally. And, you know, that's, you know, his Saturdays are dominated by that. So I think, and the, what the president is really good at doing is uh, linking A to B and then taking credit for it. So, you know, he, he called for the Big Ten to uh, start the season uh, they did. And then, you know, I'm sure between that point and the second point, there were a thousand things that happened to allow the Big Ten to start back up again, but he took credit for it. And, you know, that resonates with a certain uh, group of people, you know, if, if I said football is the most important thing to you, then that might help uh, influence your vote. Is it, you know, a tipping point issue? Is it going to be enough to like decide the election one way or another? I doubt it, but you know, there probably isn't one issue that's a tipping point issue. And I do think every one of these things uh, contributes to it. It's not as if Joe Biden was saying, don't play football. <laughs> you know, I should point that out. Uh, I think he just, you know, there's just a different approach to this. And it's it's difficult to say which approach is going to have greater resonance with the average American. Yeah. Um, repealing Obamacare or Big Ten football. I mean, uh, they're, they're pretty much even. Really? It well, I mean, I, you know, I, I know, Tim, you're trying to, you're laughing about it, but for some people it, it is, you know, I mean, it's, <laughs> I not, know it is. I'm from Ohio. I know. <laughs> I know. I, there are a lot of yeah. people that's be like, that's all they want. That's they, they work, they work hard during the week. Obamacare yes. doesn't affect them or any, any major issue. It doesn't affect me, but I, on Saturdays, I'm stuck with raking my leaves. I nor I normally buy a six pack. I hang out with my two buddies and we watch the game and that is my little slice of heaven for the week. Right. Uh, I look forward to it and I don't have that this year. And uh, oh, oh, well, now all of a sudden I do. And, you know, so fine. So Trump got me football. And uh, yeah. so I'll vote for Trump. Yeah, no, it's that simple. And, I, and you know what? I don't judge anybody's reason for voting. You know, I, I had a wise political analyst tell me a long time ago, the number one uh, reason people vote is in their own self-interest. I mean, that's why we all vote. And for some people, it's healthcare. For some people, it's abortion. For some people, it's college football. And, you know, we, that's the beauty of the right to vote is that we all get to choose for ourselves what motivates us to vote. 
And if, you know, Tim, you laid it out perfectly. If that is what makes you happy, you're going to be motivated by that. And so, yeah, I do, I do think it's a factor. That's a good question, Jonah. I don't know how big of a factor it is, but it's, you know, one of many that are going to influence the outcome of this election. You see Western New York politicians play with it all the time. And it's not even Western New York. It's uh, Senator Schumer. Uh, it's Governor Cuomo. Uh, if there was ever any doubt that they could be reelected, you'd be, you know, Bill's stadium. Uh, there'd be all kinds of stuff, you know, to make sure if you want to make sure that you win the vote in Western New York, uh, talk about funding a bill stadium, I think would probably yep. be a very big political, uh, a very big political issue. Yes, there'd be people pushing back saying we don't want that money for a bills. We want it for the schools. But uh, I think that a brand new sparkling stadium that looked really nice out in either in downtown or out in Orchard Park again would make people say, wow, whoever was in charge of that, I'm voting for them again. Yep. Yep. Uh, I agree with you. Mm -hmm. Well, Ryan, thanks for joining us. Uh, I, I kept you for a lot longer than I wanted to, but um, very nice of you to give us uh, your morning uh, now coming into the afternoon here uh, in uh, Eastern time zone. Uh, have a smooth debate uh, in terms of coverage on Wednesday. Uh, hopefully it comes off and you're not in Salt Lake City for no reason, but it uh, looks like everything's full steam ahead for, uh, for Kamala Harris and uh, Mike Pence on Wednesday. Yep, that's what it looks like, guys. Uh, I appreciate you having me on. I so appreciate your coverage on The Athletic. As I told you before, I continue to be a subscriber and I will Thank you. Uh, for the foreseeable future. So keep up the great work and it's nice to have, I, I truly mean this, uh, it is a blessing to have such top-notch journalists like you guys, uh, the crew at WGR, the, you know, Adam Benini, who I've known for a long time because I used to work in an NBC affiliate. Uh, I, Buffalo is, is very fortunate to have the quality level of journalists uh, that cover not just our sports teams, but cover the news in general. So that's one of the reasons I got in uh, to journalism was because of the, of the, the folks that I followed when I lived there. So keep up the good work. Uh, those of us that uh, live far away really appreciate it. Ryan, you're absolutely right. People here <laughs> should be fortunate to have us. Hey, uh, again, I'm grateful for your time, Ryan. Uh, you're a super busy guy. And to come on and talk bills uh, was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Right. I appreciate That's it. Ryan Nobles Thanks, Ryan. of CNN and North Tonawanda here on a Monday edition of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by Shampo Travis, Bison, Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. Uh, Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic for Bronstein, uh, Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein and Bronstein uh, Sports Injury Attorneys. Uh, thanks for joining us. And uh, what Hey, Ryan jumps back on to say hello. We, we, he does. He is, wasn't using an imposter. Uh, <laughs> Thanks to everybody for listening. Take care. All right. See you guys. <laughs>